Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about world affairs and the people who shape it. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch, and in this show we discuss topical global issues and have in-depth conversations with personalities in foreign policy. Global Dispatches is presented in partnership with Humanity in Action, an international educational organization, and I am a Humanity in Action senior fellow. My guest today, Paul Stairs, is the author of the new book, Preventative Engagement, How America Can Avoid War, Stay Strong, and Keep the Peace. The book identifies what Stairs calls the, quote, American predicament, in which the United States remains the principal guarantor of global peace and security, but in the process of maintaining global peace and security, the United States becomes overly extended and prone to costly military entanglements. Stairs offers a way out of this predicament that does not involve retreating from the world, but rather embraces what he calls preventative engagement. We discuss what this concept entails and why even the Trump administration might be willing to implement it. This is a good, high-minded conversation about U.S. foreign policy and about the value of the United Nations and multilateral engagement to U.S. national security interests. I'll post a link to the book on the podcast homepage. And uh, before we begin, a big thank you to everyone who has been emailing me with suggestions of people I should interview or topics I should cover. I know I say this often, but it's true. I do this for you. And by you, I mean literally you, you who are listening to me in your earphones right now. I put this together for you. So if there is something that you would want me to cover or want me to explore more deeper for this podcast, uh, please email me. You can use the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. I really do love hearing from you and love uh, engaging with you and, and everyone out there who, who listens to the show. Uh, I love hearing from you. And now here is my conversation with Paul Stairs, who is the General John W. Vesey Senior Fellow for Conflict Prevention and Director of the Center for Preventive Action at the Council on Foreign Relations. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So over the last 70 years, America has become uh, the, the principal guarantor of global peace and security. And in that role, it has... Uh, assumed a whole variety of commitments and obligations to defend uh, other states around the world from external aggression, to support the UN and ensure that it is the the principal global institution for managing uh, international peace and security, to uh, ensuring access to the global commons, the vital shipping arteries out of space, the airways, and more recently, also 
um, underwriting a commitment to uh, preventing mass atrocities and other gross violations of human rights. And collectively, this this provides a, a huge uh, set of commitments and obligations, which ultimately, uh, given America's role, is underwritten by its military strength and its in its willingness to use its military power to ensure compliance with these uh, general uh, commitments and obligations, and which are vital for global order, often called the international liberal order. And uh, the problem is, of course, is that um, uh, at any one time the U.S. can be pulled or, uh, pulled or demanded or asked to to uh, fulfill these commitments, and uh, potentially at considerable cost to the United States in both blood and treasure. And and um, so there's a real risk that, particularly as the world becomes more. Uh, uh, disorderly or, or the world in disarray, as it's sometimes called, mm -hmm. that the U.S. I think that was your be, boss's book. That's right. And <laughs> yeah. the, the U.S. will be increasingly called upon to use military force to uphold the global order and at great cost to itself. And um, Well, what, what's even, a recent example of, of, of that dynamic? Uh, well, we, had, we uh, you know, we were felt obliged to uh, punish Syria for the use of chemical weapons recently to uphold the um, the multilateral treaty banning chemical weapons in the world and mm. prohibiting their use. Uh, we felt obliged to... Well, I should say, but, um, but of course, in, in the course of doing that, the U.S. also violated one longstanding principle of the liberal <laughs> yeah. international order, which is the that these kinds of actions can only be uh, conferred by the Security Council. That that is true, and people have pointed out that there are somewhat uh, there's some real contradictions here. We did do it in a multilateral way, in the sense that the uh, the United Kingdom and France were um, uh, part of the operation, so it wasn't purely unilateral mm -hmm. in that sense. But it, it you're right; it does raise troubling questions about um, our willingness to cast aside these. Um, ironclad principles of international order, namely preservation of, of national sovereignty. Mm -hmm. um, I can give another example, the, the intervention in, in Libya to supposedly to prevent uh, the Gaddafi regime from carrying out um, mass atrocities. That was another case in point. Um, and then there are more uh, sort of national security oriented uh, missions that we've done from um, dealing with uh, the threat of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan um, and the, the potential use of uh, on transference of weapons of mass destruction by Iraq in, and in 2003. So there have been plenty of cases where we felt compelled to um, uh, intervene and carry out what have become quite expensive military operations as a consequence. It is, uh, and there's many more on the horizon where we could conceivably also well, be pressured to intervene. Could you maybe not make the case that the implicit understanding behind, you know, the American predicament is that, um, yes, the U.S. is the guarantor of the liberal international order, but is also the greatest beneficiary of the order? That is true. Uh, this is it, this is not purely a self-interested 
or, or enlightened self-interested uh, motive. You know, we clearly uh, benefit greatly from uh, the, the openness of the world economy that we help protect in terms of securing the waterways and for, for international commerce. Uh, yes, we, we clearly um, have benefited probably the most from this, but uh, it, it isn't hasn't been constructed in a purely very narrow fashion. It, it's very much um, to the benefit of many others too, which I think is generally recognized uh, around the world. So, you know, is the, the challenge, as I take it, with the, the American predicament is that the U.S. military is being called upon more and more often to do more and more things in more and more places, and that is ultimately unsustainable? That's true. And um, it, it you know, we are a rich country. We have the most powerful uh, armed forces in the world. And if if these demands are relatively limited and, and sporadic, then, you know, we can sustain that. The risk is that we are moving toward a much more competitive, uh, more adversarial relationship with um, Russia and China as well as some major regional powers, Iran, North Korea, that both either have nuclear weapons or have the potential of developing nuclear weapons. And, and that's a whole different ballgame in terms of um, uh, managing the, the threat of, of, of conflict. And uh, the risks are much greater. And uh, I worry, and this is really the reason why I wrote the book, was that I fear that we could stumble into a major conflict with both Russia or China. And, um, and as a consequence of that, the, the cost of, of even just maintaining a very uh, sort of adversarial posture, a kind of new Cold War, Cold War 2.0, as it's sometimes called, even that would be extremely costly to, to America and drain it of resources that are better spent, frankly, elsewhere. Um, and that over time, that could erode America's uh, prominence in the world, its ability to um, be this, as I say, this uh, last resort for maintaining international order. And uh, who knows what would replace it and replace America as the principal guarantor? Is it, is it China? Is it some combination of China and Russia. I'm not sure many people would would uh, and, look upon that prospect with a great deal of hope. And and one way to uh, avoid that scenario is to undertake what what you call preventative engagement. Can you describe what you mean by that term? Yeah. So the you know the usual responses to this predicament is either to build up our military forces, uh, do more, or to to cut back and do less, and uh, to be a be a more uh, restrained and calibrated in in our role in the world. And I characterize those two options as supply side strategies. They're really about what level of U.S. power should um, uh, America uh, maintain and project around the world. And both, in my view, have real limitations. They can be costly. They could kind of create uh, security vacuums that could be exploited by others and uh, and lead to a more disorderly world. 
So instead, I propose what I call a demand side approach, which is a strategy to reduce the overall demand for U.S. power in the future by a concerted effort to look ahead, to try to shape the future in ways that lessen the risk of us being drawn into costly conflicts. And the, the approach that I advocate is very much informed by the approach that we take toward other um, major public policy uh, challenges, whether it's violent crime, uh, illicit drug use, infectious diseases. And it's essentially a sort of multi-tiered preventive strategy in which you initially try to reduce the, the risk factors associated with the problem. You then try to look ahead and anticipate the most threatening challenges that could, if 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 they occur, could overwhelm your ability to manage them. And simultaneously also try to manage uh, ongoing uh, threats too. So it's a a three-level strategy uh, with uh, a long-term effort involving um, addressing these Mm -hmm. these sort of looming challenges over the horizon, a mid-term game in which we try to anticipate the most likely, the most dangerous places we could be drawn into conflict, particularly involving another major power like China or or Russia or, or Iran, which could be extremely costly. And then dealing with ongoing issues, whether it's Ukraine, North Korea, Afghanistan, where and Syria, obviously, where the situation could clearly get worse and also drag us in even further than we are at the moment. So, and uh, so to, overall, it's a sort of um, um, a concerted, multi-tiered, multi-dimensional uh, uh, strategy to deal with the long-term, mid-term, and short-term. Can, can you walk me through some examples of where elements of this strategy have been effectively deployed? There are many elements where uh, that we have pursued in the past, which I think can be pursued in the future, which have had a demonstrable uh, effect on improving international uh, stability and promoting global order. One is reaching a a general modus vivendi with the major powers about the importance of of maintaining uh, an equitable nuclear deterrence, the the effective nuclear deterrence of each of the major powers, promoting um, the viability of our worldwide regional uh, alliance systems, which have been very beneficial for maintaining uh, regional security, um, preventing the outbreak of major arms races around the world. This has, I think, been very uh, important for global security, uh, promoting international development and democracy around the world also has had a dem- demonstrable effect in lessening um, uh, civil conflict. Um, and um, uh, trade, too, is another uh, important factor to promoting long-term peace and stability because as, as big countries become more interdependent economically, they too are less likely to, to fight one another. So they, they are some obvious sort of long-term um, strategies that we could, should continue to, to pursue to maintain uh, long-term um, uh, stability. Well- um, we've also, you know, had some very successful diplomatic initiatives too, uh, whether it's um, 
lessening the likelihood of conflict at the end of the Cold War and with the unification of Germany. Uh, more recently, in, in um, uh, preventing Iran from um, developing nuclear weapons and in earlier years from um, uh, preventing North Korea from developing nuclear weapons. Uh, there have been many cases where enlightened diplomacy by the U.S. has helped um, prevent a conflict uh, from escalating and from bringing existing conflicts to um, to an end, too, whether it's in the Balkans, uh, in East Timor, in uh, parts of Africa. We've been very good at that, but we don't do it on a very systematic, concerted, regular fashion. We tend to do it sporadically. And and what I argue in the book is that we, ne we need to just uh, increase the resources and the effort and the priority we give to those diplomatic efforts because we, we just don't do enough of that. Well, can I ask, I mean, to what extent is your prescription different than just calling for more liberal internationalism and um, increasing resources available to American diplomacy vis-a-vis uh, -vis the, the Defense Department, you know, just, just sort of re more properly reallocating resources to the Department of State? That is clearly part of it. But the problem that we consistently face is that we are very uh, short sighted in the way we look ahead and try to anticipate potential problems. We tend to be very reactive uh, with the result that when crises emerge, we are very improvised in the way we manage them. Sometimes they work, other times they don't. I think, you know, the, 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 the situation in Syria is a case in point where we wrung our hands for many years about what to do and the situation just got worse. Um, and what I what I think differentiates uh, what I advocate and just, you know, putting diplomacy on steroids or, you know, pumping up our international foreign assistance and exhorting more people, more of uh, allies to do more is, is this more forward looking, forward shaping effort to try to, to um, uh, anticipate areas of, of instability and conflict before they, become serious problems and and do much more in terms of of uh, trying to shape the future rather than being hostage to it and that's what I think the real key difference from just you know more more diplomacy more foreign aid better partnerships it's, so, it's a much more more coherent concerted effort uh, I'm wondering like how does the the United Nations fit into this uh, formulation because you know it does seem that this concept that you outline has been an early priority uh, of Antonio Guterres when he was kind of running for the position of secretary general. He's, you know, he said, you know, conflict prevention was his top goal. Uh, right. And, uh, you know, he, there's like, so they have some sort of mediation abilities, but it seems that, you know, he's, the, the UN is still sort of reacting to crises around the world as opposed to taking that kind of proactive step. Partly, I think it's a, a matter of resources. They're, they're, they're not a over-resourced institution. Um, and, and so I, I'm sort of wondering how you see the, the United Nations fitting into this concept that you've outlined. Well, let, let me make a sort of general uh, comment. Firstly, this preventive engagement agenda that I lay out is not something... The U.S. can do alone or should do alone. 
this is um, this is something where many countries around the world, international community in general, can really benefit from doing. So this isn't purely uh, an agenda that serves just U.S. national interests, although it, it does have real benefits for that. As a result, I, I emphasize the importance of the UN to this overall strategy. Uh, the UN is is really the indispensable institution when it comes to setting global norms and rules of behavior. The UN Charter is obviously a, a vital um, uh, document to, to guide international behavior. And um, we should do everything possible to ensure that the UN stays a, a viable, effective organization. You're right. Um, the UN, however, has largely been reactive to events. It, in some respects, it's, it's uh, more hostage to, to events than the US since it's very difficult uh, structurally for the US, for the UN to, to be more proactive. Um, uh, Secretary General um, um, Guterres uh, has, has made prevention a priority. I think he he came in and saying he had three priorities, prevention, prevention, and prevention. And uh, he's just recently unveiled uh, um, an overhaul of the UN uh, machinery to make the UN more proactive, to consolidate its operations, to, to have more coherence to its approach to peace building, to foreign assistance, uh, and mediation efforts. Mm -hmm. And uh, while it doesn't get a lot of credit for what it does, it, it really has been effective in, in tamping down many conflicts around the world. Uh, and it's, it's one of the, the sort of paradoxes of preventive action is that uh, success is essentially never heralded because what you feared never happens as a result of your, your actions. And uh, UN diplomats have proved time and time again how effective uh, they can be in, in many of these little conflicts and places we barely can point to on the map, and yet they've, they've been very effective there. And, uh, and frankly, with, with limited resources. Can, can you maybe um, point to an, an example of, of one of those like unheralded uh, successes of prevention? Yes, there's, there's been cases, particularly in, in West Africa, where uh, certain regional, uh, certainly, sorry, territorial disputes, border demarcations have been uh, quietly dealt with by the UN. Uh, there have been various sort of mediation efforts um, in, in several West African countries, too, where um, it looked like tensions were rising. And of course, you know, the UN is, is probably most uh, well known for its peacekeeping forces, which tend to be seen as sort of band-aids to conflict in many respects they are but they have also uh, proven to be very um, effective in preventing the resurgence of conflict you know states that have have experienced civil conflicts are most at risk of slipping back and the presence of UN forces in in numerous places particularly in Africa I think has has prevented um, conflict from from flaring up again and Again, the, the the UN doesn't always get the credit for for that uh, uh, for doing that. Yeah, I'm thinking like Sierra Leone, Liberia, Cote d'Ivoire. Absolutely, those those. Yeah, these are all yeah. all good cases, uh, definitely. 
And um, so the you know the UN provides the um, you know the overarching kind of normative political framework to to facilitate world order, but also is doing things operationally too to to advance peace on the ground. And it doesn't always get the credit for it, unfortunately. I guess finally, how does your concept of preventive engagement mesh with what we are seeing? in terms of the Trump administration's foreign policy priorities? I mean, superficially, at least, it does not seem as if uh, the Trump administration is receptive to these kinds of ideas, but I'm wondering if perhaps below the surface, there might be elements of these of, of, of preventive engagement that the U.S. is, is pursuing nonetheless. Yeah, you're right in thinking that... Um well, this seems closer to uh, the approach that the Obama administration uh, would have uh, would have pursued, or the Clinton, uh, uh, the Hillary Clinton presidency, if it happened, would have pursued. But when you pass the um, the the comments and and uh, statements of the president, it's clear that a he doesn't want us to get involved in. Um, major power conflict. He wants us to get out of places uh, where we have, have you know, expended a huge amounts of national wealth to say nothing of, of suffering many casualties. And he doesn't want us to get drawn into other conflicts. And so they, those are frankly all uh, at the bottom or core objectives of preventive engagement. So uh, at that level, um, you know, it actually is very close to um, uh, pursuing the, the or achieving the very objectives that he really wants. And so, um, you know, it's it's something that that uh, uh, he should feel that uh, this is the a formula that I think could really satisfy what he's trying to achieve in the world. Uh, well. Paul, thank you so much for your time. This was this was helpful, and I'll, I'll post a link to the book on on the website. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for for having me today. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Paul. That was good. Like I said, a, a good high minded conversation about the U.S. role in the world. Always uh, good to take a step back and have these kinds of uh, you know, big picture conversations. And before I let you go, if you are a premium subscriber and you have not accessed the bonus episodes or are having trouble accessing the bonus episodes, just let me know. You can hit me up uh, on the email. And if you're a premium subscriber and you have not unlocked all the rewards that, that you are entitled to, uh, please just email me. I'll make sure that you can get access to Don's Digest, the Global News Clip Service, and the list of social media follow uh, handles to, to follow and other uh, goodies that I include as part of my enticements to have you uh, become a premium subscriber. So just uh, send me an email. You can use the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com or if you're a premium subscriber, you probably already have my, my personal email. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the policies or positions of Humanity in Action.